We're going we're gonna to continue our study in Revelation this morning from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, or chapter 2 rather, how about that? I, I just really felt like after last week's message, I kept feeling a burden to come back and talk about one particular subject related to Revelation chapter 4, but I'm going to take my text from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 if you want to turn there with me this morning. I'm still not sure how deeper, how much deeper we're going to go in Revelation, I'm, I'm considering um, chapter 4, 5, and 6, and then just kind of maybe doing a brief overview of the rest of the book one Sunday and furthering that study on Wednesday night. Just too much in there that's too hard to make an application to the church um, with. It's, the tribulation is not for us. I'm convinced of that. Um, I'm convinced that's what the scripture teaches, and uh, that's kind of what we talked about last week. So I don't know how profitable it would be for us to talk about all that tribulation stuff other than to make us understand that the time is probably drawing nigh. And I know people have been saying that for 2,000 years, but it's closer now than it's ever been. And there are too many signs that are just fitting, that are fitting in, too many shadows casting themselves over uh, over the world today that point us to the fact that the tribulation uh, may be any day now. So, Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read those first two verses again. John writes in Revelation 4, 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. He started that with after this. He saw the vision. He, he wrote the letters to the seven churches, and then he gives an after this. There's a, um, there's a shift that takes place in chapter 4 that goes from the things which are to the things which shall be. And everything from this point forward is what will be. Everything else from chapter 4 forward with the exception of a couple of chapters that are mainly parenthetical um, that are not advancing the chronology of the book um, but everything from this point forward in the book of Revelation is future sense and so it says after this I looked and behold a door was open in heaven the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter again that future tense word and immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. Now, <clears throat> I said this last week. I'm going to do a real quick review. I do not believe that, that Revelation chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 1 and 2, is a real clear teaching about the rapture of the church. I do believe it is an allusion to the rapture of the church, that um, there are some similarities there, um, that after the church age, after the church is removed, um, that, that, that then the tribulation will occur. So um, I, I, I don't believe the church is going to be here during the tribulation. We will be called away. We will be delivered. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the word harpezo is, and it's used in several places, one in reference to the ascension of Christ. And, and, and the Bible makes it clear to me that the church will be caught away. It will be delivered from the wrath that is to come, which is the great tribulation. Um, five reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. You won't find the church mentioned in chapter 6 through 18, except if you see them in heaven. There are several references to the church being around the throne in heaven, those that have washed their robes in his blood and made them white. So the saints, as far as I can understand from Scripture, as, as far as my reading of Revelation and other passages, the saints are in heaven um, because the church has promised salvation from God's wrath. And, and tribulation is about the wrath of God being poured out upon a sinful, unbelieving world. Um, we were not designed to experience God's wrath. He may punish us, but we, he will never pour his wrath out on his redeemed people. The scripture promises the imminent return of Christ. That is that he can come suddenly at any moment without any warning. 
If you look at the scriptures that are related to the seventh come to the second coming, which occurs after the tribulation, you could you could literally know the day that Jesus was coming. <clears throat> By the way, there's a there's a there's a prophecy in Daniel um, that if you do the math on that prophecy, the Jewish people could know the exact day that Jesus would present himself as the, as the Messiah, which is the tri- day of the triumphal entry, um, Palm Sunday. That date is specifically predicted in Daniel chapter 9. And if you do the math on the dates, it will nail down the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And, and there are some people that recognize that and receive Christ as, the personal, as their personal Savior among the Jews. Um, they missed him the first time. And, and you could know the date of his second coming by seeing the things that are happening in the tribulation. Um, I'm, I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, but the, the Bible says that the Antichrist is going to enter into the temple of the Jews during the tribulation and establish that, that he's going to make an, an abominable sacrifice there and declare himself to be God and demand that he be worshipped. And that, it's very clear in Revelation that that comes at the halfway point of the tribulation and that you can count the days from that day until um, the day of Christ's second coming. None of that is an imminent return. Imminent means quickly. Imminent means suddenly. Imminently means without any warning. And Scripture promises over and over. Jesus said, In an hour that you think not, the Son of Man comes. As the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Like the days of Noah, um, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man B, he entered the ark seven days before the rain started. And then Jesus is coming just that suddenly, without any signs of the tribulation, without any signs of the coming judgment of God. The church will be rescued and ransomed just like Noah was. Scripture never tells us to prepare for the great tribulation. If God's people had to go through a time of trouble like that, I believe he would tell us to prepare for it. And, and rapture is consistent with preparing for death in general because not one of us know when that day is going to come. And the Bible tells us to be prepared any day for that day to come, whether it's by rapture or by death. All of us, this, we can't live here forever. We're not staying here forever. This world and our life is coming to an end, and we ought to be prepared for rapture just like we are prepared for death in general. Five preparations that you can make. You repent of your sins and turn to Christ as your Savior. That's number one. That's first. That's foremost. Assembly is good. All of these passages that I shared with you last week are related to um, the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, the day of wrath, the day of judgment. Um, repentance is required. Assembly is exhorted. We need each other. Um, exhort one another daily as you see the day approaching. Purity is pursued. Sobriety, that is just governing ourselves, governing our flesh, not just sobriety in the sense of alcohol, but living a, a life that is governed by the Word of God, the will of God, and the Spirit of God. And patience is imperative. Don't give up because He is coming. Peter said um, that many will say, where is His coming? For since the fathers uh, perished, since they died, there's been talk of His coming. And he said that, 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 that the Lord's return is being delayed only because um, He wants people to come to repentance, only because He wants people um, to be saved. But he said that day will come um, like a thief in the night. So um, if Jesus is going to pull the church out of this world before the great tribulation, and this question, I, I just feel like I can't move on until, I, until we answer this question. I made some references to it last week, but I just scratched over the surface. What if somebody is not ready? 
What if somebody is not ready for the rapture of the church? What if somebody sitting in the church pew every Sunday is not prepared for the rapture? What, what if you are not ready for the rapture? Now, I know this is one of them sensational subjects. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around, but I said, I said this last week. There's a lot of sensational things in the Bible that we take it at face value, and I think we ought to take this at face value. Jesus can come any day for his church. And I'm not sure how he's going to get us out of this world, but we're going to leave this world. The Bible says the trumpet's going to sound, the voice of the archangel is going to shout, the dead in Christ are going to raise, be raised from the dead, and then we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them um, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's 1, Corinthians chapter, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What if you're not ready? And if you're not ready, when the church is raptured, will there be another chance to be saved? So Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, both of them were meant to clear up a lot of confusion about the rapture of the church and the second coming. There, were a lot of, there was a lot of false teaching that was going on in that time, uh, probably because the Thessalonican church was, they were experiencing some intense persecution. Um, some of them were dying because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and there was some teaching um, that had been going on that led many of them to believe that they were already living in the great tribulation, that somehow they had missed um, the rapture of the church, that somehow those, their loved ones that had died, that it was too late for them. And so there, there's just a lot of, and you can, I'm not going to read all the letters, you can bear this out from those letters that Paul is doing his very best to clear up some teachings about the rapture of the church, the death of the saints, um, and, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, 1 Thessalonians, one of the clear, chapter 4 is one of the clearest teachings in all of God's word about the rapture of church. And, and to me, what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is, is all I need to tell me that the church is going to not experience the, the tribulation but will be delivered from the wrath of God that is to come. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 cl clears up some of the heretical teachings that were going on about those who thought they were already living in the great tribulation. But as Paul, as Paul began to clear up that heresy about the, tri about the second coming, the great tribulation, he answered a couple of important questions about the tribulation. Will it be possible to be saved during the great tribulation? And if it is possible to be saved during the great tribulation, who can be saved? <clears throat> I've, thought, I've thought this all my life, and so I'm just going to share it with you. If you grew up in the church, if you grew up around the church, if you grew up hearing the teachings of the church, if you heard your grandma, your granddaddy, your mama, your daddy talk about the rapture, talk about the This was on my mind when I was living way outside the will of God, far from God, living life in complete rebellion to God's word. This is, this is one of my thought processes. If the church is raptured, if, if, a, if millions of people go missing, literally in an instant, it's all over the news. It's all over everywhere. I have people in my life. I told you a story one time. I came home, couldn't find my mama. The car was in the driveway. And mama wasn't nowhere. So the doors were unlocked. And I went to hollering around the house, couldn't find my mama. And I was, I mean, listen, I was living wild and woolly. And the first thought across my mind is, Jesus come. My mama is gone. Because if anybody's going, mama's going. And so I had to validate for myself. So I called grandma. When she answered the phone, I said, whoo. <laughs> and she said, you need something? I said, 
I'm just looking for my mama, but the fact that you're safe means I'm safe right now. You know she didn't understand it at the time. I told her about it later on. Mama and grandma's mama's somewhere, and she was walking around, but anyway. But I thought all of my life, if, if I see suddenly millions of Christians just literally taken away from this world, that's going to be all the validation I need that everything that the Bible says is true. And I'd surely get saved if I experienced that. Now I can say a lot of things right here, but I want to say this first. <laughs> Ain't nobody ever got saved by seeing signs and wonders. You hear me? Nobody has. That ain't what faith. Faith is when you. Faith is not walking by sight. Faith is walking by faith and things that are not seen. Um, if if seeing signs and wonders would have secured anybody's salvation, then every Jew on the face of the earth would have been saved. Faith is about, the Bible makes this very clear, faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. It's not what you see, it's what you hear and what you believe. That's what faith is all about. Substances, uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. And so, when the church is raptured, there are going to be a lot of people who immediately believe that there's some validity to what the scripture has taught so my thought process for many years was man if if if, if all of a sudden a lot of Christian people that I know are missing I'm gonna get saved I might have to endure the great, great tribulation I might have to walk through hell but I'm gonna get saved in the midst of it I'm gonna walk with Jesus in the midst of it now the first the first real Argument against that is if you ain't going to walk with Jesus when times are good, you ain't going to walk with Jesus when times are hell on earth. When, when, Judy, when Judah was about to be overthrown, Jeremiah was getting a little bit weary with the persecution that he was experiencing from those who were false prophets and those who were, who were teaching heretical things. And, and God said to Jeremiah, if the footmen have wearied you, how are you going to contend with the horsemen? If you can't do this when times are good, how are you going to do this when times are bad? And listen, Jesus made it very clear that the Great Tribulation is a time of sorrow and grief and pain and suffering like the world has never seen before or will ever see again. If you're, not going, if you're not going to live for Jesus now when things are relatively good, you're not going to be willing to die for Jesus then because of your faith. But could you get saved? If you miss the rapture of the church, could you get saved? <clears throat> and I want to remind you there were no unbelievers when the floodgates opened in Noah's day. He'd been in the boat seven days before the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the rain began to fall from the sky. When it began to fall, there were no unbelievers left. They all believed then, but not one of them got in the boat because God had shut the door. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read it and preach it kind of as I go this morning, but if you'll look with me, there are three events, and, and this is important to, to answer those other two questions. In the middle of, of talking about the second coming, he kind of cleared up some things about whether or not you could be saved during the tribulation, and if you can be saved, who can be saved? 
There are three events that precede the second coming of Christ. And remember, the second coming of Christ is Revelation chapter 19. It's not the rapture. It is, it is at the end of the tribulation. But, but read with me those first three verses. First, second Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and here's an allusion to the rapture, and by our gathering together unto him. So he's talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second coming and our gathering together unto him. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. Somebody was pretending to be the Apostle Paul that had wrote a letter to them. As that the day of Christ is at hand. The day of Christ is a reference to that day of judgment that is talked about all through the Old Testament. That day of judgment, that day of tribulation that's coming. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Just stop right there. One of the things that will precede the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a rejection or renunciation of the faith, an apostate church. Now, we, we studied the book of Sardis. We studied the church at Sardis. You have a name that you live, but you are dead. Um, we studied the church at Laodicea, the Laodicean church. Jesus was on the outside knocking, trying to get in. I believe the Bible teaches that as we approach the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be an apostate church. There will be a church on earth that rejects um, the faith as it was once delivered to the saints, which is what Jude told us to contend for. It is a false faith. It is a, it is a profession of faith without a possession of faith. There will be an apostate church. And listen, that will be the church that's trying to explain away the rapture. That will be the church that's trying to explain away. Listen. People that believe the Bible these days are called bigots. They're called hate mongers. They're called, um, they're, they're called people that are filled with hate. Now, you name it, they, they're calling us that these days. Those will be the same people who come along behind the rapture of the church and explain away what the rapture was. I can see it going very easily like this. God removed those people from this world because they were wicked in their heart, because they were too judgmental, because they thought that they were holier than everyone else. God removed them from the world because he wants the world to live at peace with each other, to be at unity with one another, to get along with each other. He wants a world where everybody is going to heaven and nobody is going to die. That's progressive woke Christianity in a nutshell. That's universalism that's being taught in supposedly Christian churches today. All over, all over this nation, there is an apostate church that is already existing. They profess faith, but they really hold to, uh, do not hold to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. First Timothy chapter 4, Paul warned, Now the, speaketh, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says essentially the same thing. I'm not going to read that. Um, but we're already seeing a lot of this. We're already seeing the growth of a, of a church that is walking away from um, Orthodox Christianity, the faith as it was once delivered to the saints, um, much of professing Christianity is already on this road, and after the rapture, that's all that's going to be left is that version of Christianity. Um, the second thing that he points out to, the second event in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the last part of verse 3 says, And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that this is what I referenced a while ago, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I believe that's Revelation chapter 
13. You'll find it there, chapter 14. Revelation of the man of sin, who is the Antichrist. Jesus said, the second coming will not occur until the Antichrist has made his ascension. Until he has been revealed. Now there's a whole lot of speculation in the world today about who the Antichrist is. About who the man of sin is. About who the man that's going to be in the temple. When the tribulation is here, there's not going to be any question about that man who is controlling all things. Um, he has religion in his pocket. He has government in his pocket. He has apparently the world's food supplies in his pocket. Because no man buys or sells except they have the mark of the beast. Um, there's, there's a lot that goes along with this, but... Jesus, unless you have seen the Antichrist ascend to power, Jesus has not yet returned. That has to happen. There has to be a falling away of the church, which I believe we're already seeing some of. There has to be a revelation of the man of sin. Now, the seventh verse says that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Some Bible translations um the mystery of iniquity, the, the hidden truth of lawlessness is already at work. And we're already seeing that at work now in our day. And, and it's been going on at some level from the very beginning. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that deception has never been a part of this world. Deception has always been a part of this world. But I believe what you will discover is that deception will grow increasingly worse as the second coming approaches and... Um, there are a lot of opportunities that false prophets have now to, to promote their version of, of, of truth to this world um, through social media, through the internet. So, so that mystery of iniquity that has always been at work is going to ramp up. It's going to gain speed. It's going to gain momentum and sweep across this world. So the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. Um, but he will come on the scene after the rapture um, I don't have time to dig all this out. We'll, this is probably what we'll talk about on a Wednesday night. Um, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene as a peacemaker. Now, can you imagine the world being in a state of chaos if millions of people go to missing all of a sudden? Somebody's going to be looking for answers, and somebody's going to be ready to give answers, and I believe that will be in part the Antichrist as a peacemaker. He's going to come along and captivate the world with his wisdom and captivate the world with his abilities to bring people together. I think that, I think that the end-time world is going to see a coming together of Jews and Muslims. I think the end times world is going to see a coming together of the apostate church with the Jews and Muslims. And do you know that there are a group of Christians in the world today that are pushing for that? They're pushing for that. Um, I call some names, but I won't. Verse 8 says that when that wicked man, when that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's what Jesus is going to do at the second coming, which occurs at the end of the revelation. Uh, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the Antichrist is going to be Satan incarnate, literally filled with the spirit of Satan. Um, incarnate seduction and deception. When you talk about Jesus, Jesus is incarnate. He is God incarnate. He is truth incarnate. Everything about him is true. He is truth. He said, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to me, uh, no man cometh to the Father except he come by me. The Antichrist is the, is the polar opposite of that. He is the incarnate of Satan himself. 
Um, he, is, he is incarnate seduction. He is incarnate deception. He will do everything he can to counterfeit everything that Christ did, including apparently the imitation of a resurrection. Now, I don't believe that's, that he will truly be resurrected, but there will be the appearance of a resurrection. Um, and so that people gather at his feet to worship him, believing that he is indeed the Christ in the middle of the tribulation, a counterfeit Savior with a worthless salvation. Now, we, we, can go a, a, we can get real deep in that, but I'm not going to. Before Jesus comes again, the church that exists on the earth will be apostate. They will, they will have rejected the faith. The man of sin, who is the Antichrist, will be revealed. He will ascend to power and begin to deceive and seduce. And then the last thing, and this is the thing that we've been talking about last week and this week, is in verse 5. He said, Remember you not that when I was, with you, I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. I know the King James is hard to read here, but it says, For the, the, the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now that let and letteth, all those words, um, the word letteth, you, you just have to look it up in a strong concordance. Some of you got a, probably a more modern translation. The word has changed over the years, and we... We see letteth as alloweth, but that word literally translated is he who, with, who, he who withstrains. He who restrains um, will let this thing go on until he be taken out of the way. The restrainer will be removed. And what is the restrainer? Um, it is, is absent. When, when Christians are absent, there will be no restraint to the mystery of iniquity that's already at work in the world. Um, I'm, I'm trying my hardest not to confuse you and not to get too deep in this at the same time. But, but do you know the only thing holding back wickedness in the world today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ who hold the truth of God's word as the moral compass of their lives. Now, you can believe that or not, but you go to places where the Word of God is not being held in high esteem, and you'll see, all, you'll see wickedness on a scale that you've never imagined before. The restrainer of sin in the world today is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God at work in the hearts of Christians. Who's standing against the tide of ungodliness and wickedness in our nation? Who's standing against abortion? Who's standing against, who, who's standing against um, the wicked perversion, the sexual perversion that exists in our world today? Um, who are the primary ones that are standing against real injustices that are going on in the world today? Um, who's at work in the world today to minister to the orphans and to the father, to, 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 the, um, to, to the people who stand in the greatest need? The church. It's the church. It's the church. You believe that or not, just look at the evidence. It's everywhere. When you take the church out of the world, the restrainer of wickedness is removed. Now, I, I'll, I'll say this about my own life. If you take the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God out of my life, I'm a wicked, wicked man. I've lived that life. I've been in that place. I know what He did for me. I'm not a good man. And whether you believe it or not, you're not a good man either. 
What has worked in your life from the very beginning, if you have, you have been exposed to people who have a moral compass that's rooted and grounded in the teachings of Scripture. And that has been the restrainer in your life. Listen, even when I lived a wicked life, I knew about the restrainer that was out there. I knew about the teachings that were out there. I had a, I had a sense of right and wrong, a sense of good and a sense of evil. Where would that even come from in the world? It came from the one that made it. Otherwise, we're all left to make up our own standards. You do realize that's what the book of Judges says, is that every man did that was right in his own eyes. Look at the book of Judges. That's an awful, awful period of history for Israel. It's people without a moral compass. And why do they not have a moral compass? Because the Bible said there arose a generation who knew not God. And their whole life got wrapped up in the wickedness of the culture that was around them. Those cultures that were taking their babies, and look it up, Molech, the god who was the brass god who, whose belly was literally a fire, they would lay their infant children in his arms, and those children would slide down those brass arms into the pit of his stomach and be burned alive because they were offering sacrifices. That's, and listen, Israel bought into that because they did not know God, because they'd not been taught about God. I'm here to tell you the only restrainer of wickedness in the world today is the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God at work in the hearts and the lives of those who trust him and when you take them out of the way by the rapture when spirit filled and spirit empowered believers who love believe proclaim truth and who restrain evil by their influences when you take them out of this world when they are removed truth is going to be abandoned wholesale and the spirit of antichrist is going to be empowered like he never has been empowered before I'm, I, I'm, quite frankly, I'm already amazed at the level of gullibility that's out there. People are so gullible now. And people who don't know the scriptures are being easily deceived. You can't, used to believe, you can't believe what you hear. I want to tell you, you can't even believe what you see today. I'm, I could give you a thousand illustrations of that. Listen, I'm not a fan of the current administration or his policies. And, and this video is circulating all around now. And I, honestly, first time I, first time I saw it, I thought, he really just said that. He said in the end of June that, that, that they showed no zero inflation for July. And so this has been going all over the Internet. It's everywhere. You've probably seen it. Zero inflation for July. And here's the mockery. And I listen, I, I, don't, like, I don't like the policies. I don't like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm looking for another man to lead us. Don't misunderstand me. But, but, they, but everybody says, it ain't even July yet, and he's already talking about zero inflation in July. And he don't even know that we're still in June. Listen, he said that last year in August. He said that last year in August. Now, I don't believe the zero inflation claim, but listen, it's being misrepresented. And you know what people are doing? Thousands are sharing it. Now, if they can do that with that, they can do that with anything. I saw a video, and I think I, think I sent it to Brother Carl. Um, when, when, the, when President Obama was in office, and I found a video, and I thought, man, how could anybody watch this and be in favor of this guy? I mean, it was like a 10-minute long video. And, and some awful things said. And I'm like, why ain't this being broadcast everywhere? 
And I showed it to Brother Carl, and Brother Carl put it in some of his editing software and slowed it way down. And he said, Brother Keith, that thing has been... He said, I'm not saying some of these are not his positions, but that piece of tape that you just saw has been cut and spliced over and over and over again. And when you slow it down to a very slow speed, you can see where it's broken up. Listen, there's some photo editing programs that are out there today that will make you think that what you're seeing and hearing is happening in real time live. I'm telling you, people are already gullible enough to buy the lies of the enemy. Don't tell me that they're not because they're doing it every day. And listen, I hope I ain't about to offend you, but quit sharing them injured dog and lost people folks post on Facebook. They drive me insane. And I think I done got picked up on the algorithm because it's all over mine now. Every time I turn around, somebody's found another dog or some, and I'm, some of them, listen, if it's legit, share it. But these are fake profiles being created by fake people on fake pages and, and, and they're, they're preying upon our sympathies. And we're biting it hook, line, and sinker. Technology is going to make the Antichrist job easy. Technology is going to make the Antichrist job easy. There are going to be things that people hear and think they see that are going to make them bite and believe the lies that he sells. So the first event is already visibly gaining momentum. And the first event is a sign that the second event is already getting a foothold. When the church begins to buy into the lies and promote the deception, rejecting the authentic faith, then it gives a foothold for the Antichrist to come in and begin to work even, even more successfully at his deception and seduction of the world. And when the third event happens, it will open the floodgate of the tribulation. When Jesus takes the church out of the world, the flood is coming. The flood of his wrath and the flood of the deception of the Antichrist. And there will be a level of demonic deception that this world has never seen before. So what if you miss the rapture? Can you be saved during the Great Tribulation? I think Paul answers that. But the way that he does that is first by telling us why people miss the rapture. Look at verse 10. This is, this is the work of the Antichrist. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness. That just means with all unrighteous deception. In them that perish. In, in them that he is destroying. Why is he destroying them? Verse, the end of verse 10 says this. Because they received not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. Why do people miss the rapture? Because they did not love the truth. They did not trust the truth. They did not obey the truth. Why do people not love the truth? The end of verse 12. Actually read the whole verse that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The reason people don't want to accept what the Bible says is because they want to live by their own standards, not God's. The reason people don't want to believe what the Bible says is they want to be their own God. They want to be their own arbiter of truth. They want to be their own judge 
That's been going on since day one. Or I can't say day one. It's been going on since the fall in the Garden of Eden. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, he's like, God knows that if you eat that, you're going to be like him. And ever since then, men have been vying for that position in their life to be the Lord of their own life. And, and listen to me, that was me for many years. That was me for a lot of years. And, and, it was, and it was, I knew what the truth was. I've been raised in the truth. I was taught the truth my, from, from the time I was a little bitty boy. Um, I think Mama said my first church service was a week after I was born. I know things have changed since then, but I went to church. I didn't know nothing but church. I didn't know nothing but Bible stories growing up, Bible songs growing up. I, what I knew was what my mom and daddy had lived and taught before me. Uh, and so, so I, I knew the truth. But there came a time in my life that I was unwilling to give up a lot of things because I, I wanted those things more than I wanted the truth. I didn't love it. I didn't want to trust it, and I surely didn't want to obey it. There were habits. There were desires. There were friends. There were things that I wanted to do and places that I wanted to go that I knew were outside the realm of what God said in his word. And so I rejected the truth. Maybe I, didn't, I may not have even said that's a lie, but I didn't receive it as the truth. I didn't love it as the truth. I got to read this to you because this is a common theme in Paul's letters. And, and, and this is a, a passage of scripture. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 ends with, The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We exercise our life on, uh, on the basis of God's word being true. And we live by faith in that. But, but verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, unrighteous, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Listen to this. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means they suppress the truth because of their unrighteous ways. They suppress it in their own life. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became Fools. They knew the truth. And, 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 and listen to me. The Bible tells us, we just read part of it in Romans. I can take it to the other verses. That God has revealed himself to us through his creation. God has revealed himself to us through our own conscience. We have an innate and, and an instinctive ability to know what's right and wrong. Even a kid that, was, that didn't grow up in the Bible Belt and was never taught a verse of the Bible, when he tells his first lie, he knows that he just did wrong. Where'd that come from? God put it in us. We instinctively understand that it's wrong to do certain things, whether anybody taught us that or not. We know it's wrong because God instilled that in us when he created us. So we have a revelation of God in his creation. We have a revelation of God in our conscience. And ultimately, the final, full, complete, authoritative revelation of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was made flesh and dwelt among us, the only begotten as of the Father, um, full of grace and truth. 
God has revealed himself to the world all these ways. Why do people reject God? Because they suppress the truth in order to live life by their own standards. In the verses that follow Romans 18, or Romans 1, 18 through 22, the Bible says twice there that because they kept, they rejected the knowledge of God and made up their own version of what truth was. That God, it says twice there that God gave them up. And the third time it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind, which is a mind that is void of conscience. A mind that doesn't recognize truth from error. A mind, a mind that will not recognize that they're believing a lie. Now, now first, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 said God gives them strong delusion that they would believe a lie and that they would be damned. How does God give people strong delusion? He just with, Listen, when, when the Spirit of God is withdrawn, people give in to delusion wholesale. Do you know the truth now? You do. Because you've heard it. And you've read it. And you've probably said it and sung it. Are you suppressing it because you just want to live life by your own standards? You have to be careful when you start off down this path because when the enemy knows that you are taking the bait, he pours on the seduction and the deception. Listen, I've seen this happen in too many people's lives. People that once said, I, that, that, who used to believe certain things about what God's Word said, who no longer believe it because the enemy has hooked them. People are getting hooked left and right today because there are preachers that are telling them, Listen, as long as you believe, as long as you, you pray this prayer, you go through those baptism waters and you go live your life any way you want to live it because it don't matter anymore. Um, I, I, it's, it's all over. It's all over social media, that kind of teaching, that kind of influence. And so people are buying it. Why? Because they can live life by their own terms, by their own standards. Now, I have seen from this pulpit the truth of God's word be taught and the spirit of God using it to convict people and convince people. You believe this or not, I'm telling you, you can look on people's faces sometimes and just know that the word of God has made an impact and that the spirit of God has given confirmation to that. I've experienced in my own life. I've sat in a church service and white-knuckled a pew that I knew the message was me. I knew the message was for me. I knew that the truth was being spoken and I knew that the Spirit was empowering it to convict me and convince me. People are moved. Sometimes I've had, I've, people come up to me after the service and say, Preacher, I know that one was for me with conviction on their face, with tears in their eyes. They know what they need to do, but they stall. Why do they stall? Why do they not, why do they not move that final step? Because they know what it's going to cost. Listen, I knew the night that, that Jesus saved me what it was going to cost me. 
it's going to cost me laying my life down his feet and, and making him Lord and Savior of my life. And, and a lot of people will reach that place where they're, they're, they're literally standing on the precipice of eternity and they know what the truth is, but they say, I'm not ready. And, and there's a satanic distraction. There's a satanic deception. There is a sin that sways them. I'm not ready. To, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. Listen, the Apostle Paul fought that battle. Um, he standing before a king, and he said, "Paul, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Almost, almost. Not quite." And, and you know what happens when people do that? You know what happens when people are moved that way? They're convicted of sin. They're convinced that what's just been said is the truth. But then, but then for whatever reason, they stall. For whatever reason, Satan distracts. For what, I know why Satan does it, but sin maybe pulls them back away from that love of the truth. Their conscience is seared. Their heart gets harder. And it'll take something more drastic to get their attention than what they just experienced. Do you hear me? Isaiah 55, 11 is the verse that the Gideons use. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that, that I send it. It will accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. So, so, so hear me out. I'm done. But when the word of God is preached, your heart will either be humbled by it or hardened by it. It, it, it never has, hear me, listen to me. It never has zero effect. The word of God preached under the power of the Holy Spirit never has no effect. Ten times Moses went to Pharaoh. Ten times Moses saw, Pharaoh saw signs and wonders. Ten times the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then at the end of his life, the Bible said that God hardened his heart. What, what, how did God harden his heart? Because he kept hearing the word over and over and over again. And he kept letting it sear his conscience. And his heart got harder and it got harder and it got harder. And you know the only thing that made him let him go is he lost a son in the process. A tragic event and he immediately let the children of Israel go and as soon as they got out of sight he changed his mind again. Why? Because his conscience was dead. Because you can't hear the word of God without it affecting you. You can't be under the influence of the Holy Spirit without, you've got to make some kind of response to Him. And every time you say no, your heart gets a little harder and a little harder. But every time you say yes, your heart will be humbled and humbled and humbled. And you can believe more and receive more and, and trust more and obey more and love more the truth. Knowing the impact that it makes in your life. I'm not going to go read it. I'm, I'm beyond time again, I know. But, but Paul warned in the last chapter of the book of Acts about people that would hear and not hear. Would see and not see. They're going to be exposed, but they would never respond. So according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It's clear to me that those who have heard the truth prior to the rapture but refuse to believe it and receive it will not have an opportunity to be saved during tribulation. I want you to hear that very loud and clear. 
If you have heard the truth prior to the tribulation, but refused to believe it and receive it, I do not believe you'll have an opportunity to be saved during the tribulation. I, I, you might have read the whole Left Behind series of books, but I'm here to tell you I believe I got it wrong. So will anybody be saved during the tribulation? I believe that salvation during the great tribulation is reserved for those who are truly Jews. That's not just everybody professing to be a Jew. That's not everybody that's a Jew by birth. That's people that legitimately try to follow the law of God according to the scriptures, but who miss Jesus the first time. And I believe because God is gracious and not willing that any should perish, but it all come to a knowledge of the truth that Gentiles who have never heard the gospel will have another opportunity. But everybody that's heard it the first time and rejected it and refused it, I don't believe there'll be another opportunity. And I'll say this, I hope I'm wrong. But I wouldn't stake my eternal future on that. I wouldn't take that chance. I know it's hard for us to, to understand, but If you won't give in to the truth now and God just gives you over to your sinful heart's desires and gives you up to a reprobate mind, you can't blame that on God. You can't blame that on Him because if, if, if all, you've, all you've said all your life to God is no, 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 then, then, then that's just God giving you what you asked for, which is His absence. To be left alone. To live life without God in view. There's an old song. I, I believe the guy's name was Larry Norman. It's one of the oldest contemporary songs. I remember hearing it when I was lost and out in the world. And the title of the song is just, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it to you. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. A man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise and turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears and one le one's left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. There's no time to change your mind. How could you have been so blind? The father spoke. The demons dined. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Now, he wrote that song about the tribulation. But I feel his heart. I wish we'd all been ready. I want us all to be ready. And if you've heard the truth today, you've got an opportunity to respond to it. And you will respond to it. You'll either say yes to it or you'll say no to it. And whether you're humbled by it or hardened by it, the truth has gone out. 
And you got to decide what you want to do with that. Let's stand. Lord, I pray that you would add your blessing to the, to the reading and the preaching of your word. It'll accomplish what you sent it to do today. Without a doubt. But I pray for all of those that are in this building and all who may watch it at some other time, in some other way, I pray, God, that we would all hear it with a heart of faith. We don't, we, I don't understand it all. But it's what your word says. The, the, only, the only reason I have any hope of eternity is because of the man named Jesus who died and was buried and rose again. Beyond him, beyond what he did, beyond the testimony of his resurrection, there ain't any hope that there's anything after we die. He's a, there, there is no other religion on the face of this earth that has been founded upon the doctrine of a resurrection of spirit, soul, and body and an eternal afterlife in the presence of the one who created us. Lord, I pray you'd work in this time of invitation. I, I want us all to be ready. The trumpet could sound and the voice could shout this very day. Even if it doesn't come for the church. Even if you don't come today for the church, you can come for any individual in this place. And I'm, I'm as convinced of this as I am that people who have heard the truth won't have an opportunity to be saved during tribulation. I'm, but I'm, I'm even more convinced of this that when we breathe our last breath the opportunity of salvation has passed either we are saved or we're not saved it's appointed to man once to die and after this to judgment there's no purgatory there's no praying anybody out there's no there, 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 there's no opportunity we make our choice while we live then we live with that choice forever and forever I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning into making a decision. I'm just saying what your word says. I pray if there's one here lost, not ready, today would be their day of salvation. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.